This season of Influencing Entrepreneurs is brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Organization of Charlotte. EO Charlotte is part of the world's premier network of successful entrepreneurs, embracing the unique qualities of the entrepreneur. Desire to build? Extreme achievement? Quest for new experiences. EO opens a new world for peers to learn from and inspire each other, leading tremendous business successes and a richer personal life. EO Charlotte, where entrepreneurs belong. Coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. Being vulnerable is... I think if you asked a bunch of people that knew you, I think they would say, too, too authentic and both. I'm serious. Like, I, I believe in the deepest personal experiences are the most valuable. And you know, I, I've, I've been transparent with the world about my divorce, about the entire pandemic and what it's done to my business. You know, we're always so afraid like how much money you make or how much money you lost. I lost about seven hundred thousand dollars during this. Week. Like, Whoa, will you share those numbers? And I'm like, does it hurt me to share this? No. Does it help someone else out by sharing this information? Um, yeah, probably. After years of teaching entrepreneurship and consulting with multiple companies, I realized that when business leaders share stories of not only their successes, but their mistakes, it had a huge impact in the classroom. So I thought, why not document those stories? On this episode of Influencing Entrepreneurs, we'll hear from Garrett Tishi, the owner and founder of Huga Coworking, a co-working space in Charlotte, North Carolina, that focuses on creating a tight-knit community. I'm Kazmer Ward, and this is Influencing Entrepreneurs. Garrett, thank you so much for, for joining us for this today. I, uh, it's funny, you know, around the Charlotte community, I've, I've heard your name. We, we were talking earlier how we actually were working together for an entrepreneurial group here in Charlotte earlier. But where did your entrepreneurial uh, journey begin? Yeah, so it's, it's funny that you bring up that startup weekend. feels like forever ago. Um, was a bit of a catalyst. So that was before the, you're talking eight, nine years ago, that was before I had even would have considered myself an entrepreneur. I was still working um, for a marketing agency um, at that time. What was your, was your background marketing or? My background's actually in development, design and development. So I had multiple degrees, one design, one web development, um, which is a, was a nice compliment, but actually ended up at a, in a job at, as a developer for a marketing agency. Um, quickly after being in that environment, I was like, I, I kind of love building things. But I like showing people what I built. And right. as a developer, you often just hand it off and, and someone else gets to tell the world about this cool thing. I hated that. Um, so actually expressed interest to my, my boss at the time um, in learning as much as I can about the marketing side. Um, and about six months later, transitioned into marketing management and out of development completely. Um, about a year into that, um, after our company was acquired by a larger organization and realizing at the time um, this like this desire to control my fate after layoffs and different things um, ventured into owning my own marketing agency so so you I mean really you take a path of hey I'm, I'm, I'm moving up the corporate ladder just yes and you move it as you move up the ladder you jump off the ladder yeah, at some point it, it just I'll never forget the feeling of uh, being a part of a company that announced major profits year over year and then the next day lay off people 
And at that time, was, you know, I had a young, huge ego, was really angry about it. And that day I had a conversation with my partner who started my business with me um, about starting our own business. Like, we can do this ourselves, right? Like, screw the man. I, I want to keep going down your journey, but yeah. real quick, where you're at today, do you look at those announcements a little bit different or are they still, okay. I, um, and that, I think about a year into running the agency, we very quickly realized we built the same thing. That all of these things they did were, you know, everyone wants to make money. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the job of my job as the CEO of Puga, of Ready at Seven at the time, is to ensure that we survive. More than ever, thinking about the, the last year, what do we need to do? And while we're emotional in the moment as employees, somebody smarter than us is, is making really strategic, smart decisions. And you, and you left a marketing agency to start? Become my own digital agency. Um, yeah, when it was a wild, you know, bit of a, gut punch and you realize just how, how on track they were, how smart they were. When, when you have that uh, revelation, are you are you ready to quit your own company? Well, no, it, honestly, we um, realizing that we had built exactly what we hated so much. We hated might be a little strong, but right. what we didn't... Felt helpless, more, I mean, more than anything. I, I think anybody that builds a business on their own or with somebody, anyone that wants to own a thing, control. Like we all have a bit of ego, whether it's a lot or little, you have some. Anybody's like, oh, I'm an ego, you're full. You're full. Um, and that, that desire for control was enough to push me out of it. And knowing that my friend at the time, like one of my closest friends got laid off out of his control, did a really good job. He was just one of the casualties and led me down this path. What were some of the immediate downsides you saw of having full control? <laughs> so we actually did, um, we took nine months to fully quit our job. So we worked behind the scenes, nights and weekends. Uh, Kayla and I, my partner at the time, sat down and said like, we're gonna do this the right way. We respect the organization we work for enough to not coach clients, to not work on their time. We committed to nights and weekends. And it took us nine months, we, we set this like, if we get enough of a book of business to cover our current salaries, that's it. Just, that's the breaking point. It took nine months. Uh, so there was a little bit of like safety in that. I always, I always, people always love to ask me, like, should I just quit my job? And I just definitely don't quit your job. Uh, if you, if you want to be a business owner, you, that's that commitment to working and going the extra 10 miles, nights and weekends, whatever you need to do to build this. I think it's a test. If you can't do that, like I work 24 seven. Take days off. What's that? Um, you know, I travel do things, but um, we did a lot of things to prepare us, almost to the point where when we quit our job, we were bored. Like we were working on all our clients in the extra time. And then all of a sudden, you you shrink for eight hours down to forty. I get, all, I get my eight to five back, yeah. and we're doing all of this stuff at half energy, nights and weekends, and all of a sudden you have full energy all day. Um, it was pretty cool to, to go to that. Um, the business side 
is is the hardest thing, you know, because all of a sudden you're doing the same job you had, which was marketing management, and then you have the whole sales pipeline you have. And I was good at selling. Um, you have to run the business. Like, it's not like money's coming in, but that doesn't mean you're profitable. It doesn't mean you're uh, you're paying tax. You're doing all these things, like. And when you're billing out, you're not building the business. And when you're out building the yes. business, you're not billing. Yeah, and um, we, at that time, were, I would say, made some very smart decisions, really, to hire a CPA, like, offload bookkeeping. I don't want to, like, make sure, like, your job is to make sure my financials are good and tell me if I'm losing money. Like, I don't, because I just can't focus on that. Like, give up as much of the business administration as you can early was my was my mission. How, how do you start with, with the accounting piece just from, that's usually sometimes the last thing an owner or founder wants to let go because there's that trust issue. Yeah, so I, um, having a partner forced me, us, into a more structured thing. Like if it was just me, man, that, that money might've been coming into my checking account, like personal checking with no, no, no QuickBooks, no anything. Right. It's just like, bill it to me, it'll be fine. We've got money, we don't have money. Those are the only two phases yeah. of your business. And when you start having to be transparent with another person, it, it forced us to be really, really, really structured. Um, I had uh, someone managing my personal finances at the time between my, uh, my ex and I. It was just easy to have them take over the business for a small cost. And it turns out there's quite a bit of CPA is willing to offload that work at a fraction, like so affordable to to give up the finances. I think everyone's always afraid to, there's not a ton of money coming in, can I afford for money to go out? And um, the amount of time I saved not thinking about my invoicing, my my bookkeeping, any of that it's stuff. It's just happening. Taxes are happening. I get a thing to sign every quarter that they're paying my quarterly tax. Life saving. So, so you're running this agency. You said after that first year, you're kind of becoming uh, what you you left. Yeah. Uh, and you also made reference to your ex partner. How long does does your uh, marketing agency last? Yeah. So we um, we quit our jobs. We ended up working out of my house for about two weeks. Two weeks. And um, the first week was great. The second week was first week was terrible. The second week was terrible. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> it was it was more of a uh, this, we were not prepared for what it would be like to, like, I was my house. Like, I don't, what time do I get up? How do I go to work? What does that look like? I'm, I enjoyed going to the office. Actually, I, I like that environment. Um, I like seeing people and all of a sudden that was taken back and Kale and I were, we didn't mesh well, just the both of us sitting in a space working. Um, so we actually ended up at a co-working space and this kind of started my co-working journey. What, seven years ago now, the, the one of the only co-working spaces available was called At 809. Um, and we ended up going there. We ended up with our first office. Um, within that first month of opening, someone that was using the space next door came and knocked on 809 store at like 8 a.m. in the morning. I was the only one there. And they're like, is anybody looking for space? And I'm like, I'll look at space. Yeah. And walking next door. Were, were you, you were really no, it was just like a random thing. I was like, whatever, I'll go look at it. Walk next door, literally walk 20 feet to the right, enter door, and it's got a couple of private offices, a big meeting room, some desks around, and I'm like, 
What do you guys want for this? And I'm like, we're just asking this. And in my head, I'm going, we're already paying 800 bucks a month for an office for a couple grand more. I can have a, a space to expand ready at seven and maybe I can do this co-working thing. Like, um, and but I always wondered, like, what happened if because the, the, the crew that ran 809 was it was more of a act afterthought. They needed space for their consultancy. They had extra space, so they just rented out as co-working. What happens if we actually like poured energy into co-working and like were really intentional about the community side and creating space that felt really inviting, less of like a club, more of an actual extension of Charlotte. Um, we did it. Like three days later, I was like, "I'll take it." Signed a lease. Right next later, door. Right next door. Yeah. Two months later. How, how well did that go over? It didn't um, go well initially, but it was less of um, an issue actually from the, the owners. They, you know, Mark Renaud and, and Seismic Partners at the time were actually really supportive. Um, excited to see somebody taking a chance. The members were actually. Um, not as thrilled about it. Really? Yeah, because you're, you know you're creating a divide. They've gotten to know us. Like, yeah. where's that plan? Yeah. Um, well, so we did you let them know you had some space to? <laughs> I promised I wouldn't poach people. Okay. Um, but funny enough, which we... is actually, I mean, honestly, is a very great foundation. Yeah. Listen, if I've I've learned anything in this city, uh, Charlotte is way too small to be screwed with people. Um, so so at that time it was same as as we. Same stance Cal and I took when we opened our agency was like, don't screw, like, do our the best work till we're not there. Don't take their clients. We can build our own. We can build relationships. That was kind of the same thing here. So we that was August first. We took it. We opened Halloween. So we, we had two months to furnish, paint, do all thing, three thousand square feet. And it's 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 taking an investment too. Were you guys ready for this sort of? No, but not. It's interesting. So well, did we know what we were getting into? Not really. It was. I, I'm I'm a very I'm a a moth to a light. Like I'm like, can you do this right? I'm the the idea execution guy. Then hopefully let someone else run it. Like I can get it over the hump where most people can't. They have that paralysis. Um, Caleb was the long term like play person. We were perfect together like that as partners. Um, so about two months to get it up and running. About three months after we we opened, we're full, full, full. Like crap. This is cool. It's making a little bit of money. And my eyes are going like, we have more space, we could do this. Like we're quite literally restricted by walls and ceilings. We can't sell more people. Now, are you conflicted at this point where you want are we an agency? Are we a co-working yes. developer? And that's well, that comes with the next step, which was I'm going to Kayla and, and I'm I'm basically like, we need to buy it or not. They need to go. Like that's how we grow. That is that is the only logical expansion here is um, to prove this model out, because 3,000 square feet full could be uh, an anomaly. 10,000 square feet full, 17 offices, ton of co-working members, that's that's a business. You go to them, negotiate a, a deal, like three weeks later, it's ours. Like that quick. At this time, we're, we don't own the buildings, we're leasing it, but we take over their lease, um, we move in a month later, we absorb all their members, and we have the opportunity to be really intentional about 10,000 square feet. Two months in, we're, we're completely into that deal. It was, and what's happening to the the marketing agency? So at that point, I'm starting to grow very much in love with this community. 
that's it's it's my whole backstory of Charlotte is community, people, and the agency stuff all very loopy. We're we're running half a million dollars a year for two people. Uh, or close to it. Um, the community stuff is way more fulfilling. It makes less money. But I'm, I'm I want to make money but I don't I don't want to do it and work twenty hours a week for people, to be honest, that don't appreciate the work. You know, there's nothing worse, I'm sure anybody in the creative field has been hired by somebody that's like, design me a thing. And then you design it. They're like, yeah, we're just going to keep doing what we were doing. You're just like, why did you pay me all this money? And that's what was happening a lot. And that to me was like, I want your 10 grand a month. Maybe not for this. Uh, and Kayla, on the other hand, was more of an introvert, really liked the marketing work, so talented at marketing. Um, just found herself gravitating towards that. And, and you could see the divide growing. And at that point, I, I was like, now that we're full here, the only logical step is another location. And she was just like, I don't have that. Like, I don't think I do. And this isn't, I'm not passionate about this. So at that point, we split. Uh, Amicably? Yeah, yeah. I, I, she still, I just saw her. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple weeks ago. We're, but it feels like a divorce a little bit. It, it, we cried. Like, yeah. I remember, and I owned the majority of the company. So at that time, I, I had the ability based on our operating agreement to just be like, you're out and here's yeah. what we outlined. This is what we do now. You're either on board or not. Yep. Yeah. yep. Um, and at this point, you're already branded as, as Huga? Huga, yes. You are. Um, and where did that name come from? It was a whiteboard session. Sadly, it's not as like, I wish I had like a really cool connection to it all, but it was mostly a, let's find words that don't translate directly to English, but have meanings that embody what we hope and Huga was one of them. Um, I voted against it, actually, in its original whiteboard session. Um, but I'm grateful that it, it kind of panned out. It's a Danish word that um, people associate with feeling comfort, hominess, um, this warmth that you get um, in moments like this. Like, it feels easy. Uh, so and it was important to me to uh, have a workspace feel as good as home, or at least go for that. That's our... That's our stretch goal. So you have this amicable split, even though it's not easy, with a partner, and you are going to start with a second location. So how does the business start taking shape at this point? Now now you're focusing on completely different things that, than you did with the agency. You're somewhat in, you're in the fine line between landlord, real estate. We're a real estate company at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, to be honest, like it, location two, um, now looking back and I see it as kind of our, it was the, it was actually more of the proof of concepts than the first one. Um, because Huga original made enough money probably to just support me. Like I could live okay to pay my bills. It wouldn't, it would be fine. I could make some money and, and manage it by myself. Eight to five would be fine. Um, but anybody that's building anything, you know, I don't subscribe. I'm not a big fan of the if you're not growing, you're dying type mentality. But at that time, that's what I believed. So it was like, we got to do more. We can do this. We got to grow this a big brand. People tell us it's great. We should do more. Um, so Remount, which was the second one, was kind of the can we do this again? Will people drive three miles down the road because we don't have space in this? Um, found a landlord that was really 
really into what we do. They brought the space to us, um, did less than two months worth of work and had it up and running. It was a space that mostly had office space. We had to cut some walls down, paint it. But it is it a huge capital investment to get it up and running? No, so um, not really. Um, we, we usually negotiate in most of the... It's why I really like finding spaces that are kind of office space. Then we take down a wall or two to open up, give it some airiness to create the co-working side, uh, like the flex space side. But for the most part, like outside of furniture and initial IT infrastructure, not a ton of a ton of because uh, we push that off the whiteboard. And then the hope is, um, and we have always been good about negotiating a free rent period, so that we have a little bit of room. So. Am I confident that we can fill 40% of our offices in three months so we never lose money uh, the moment that we're paying rent? And every location that we've done, that has always been the model and what we shoot for and hit it, which is never lost money over the space. How many locations are you at now? Four. You're at four. Going into 2020, were you at four? Yes. Okay. So 2020 hits, you have four locations, the pandemic happens. Zoom skyrockets. People are working from home. Yeah. What type of impact? Oh man, um, I, not total devastation because we're still here. Um, but we were one of the first to close. We March fifteenth, that Saturday night. I believe it was sixteenth was a Sunday. Um, that Saturday night, I, I remember seeing the news and we're looking at. Ugh, I don't feel good about this. Um, then I woke up Sunday morning and I messaged my team and I was just like, we're done. We're closing officially. They're like, when? I'm like, today. And that message, is it we're closing or we were closing for the next couple of weeks? Like as a, with no, like indefinitely, it was just this, like, we're going to like everyone get together. Let's think about the messaging. And we're obviously going to have members that want access to get things and do that. And, um, yeah, we, we shut it down. We sent off, we gave people four hours window the next day to come get computers and, um, and, and asked in that moment, I think there was enough, uh, floating uncertainty. And when could this be that people were just like, all right, we get it. We didn't get yelled at people. Like we had a couple weird interactions, but mostly at that time, people were just like, cool. We were applauded for being first or one of the first. It was like, we've always I want to be first. I don't. I want to lead. But did you ever want to be first at closing the offices? Listen, it felt like the right thing to do. Um, I, I would do it exactly the same. Um, I feel really good being a part of that first wave. Uh, and and lead, to be honest, like the amount of companies that reached out after uh, that have been like, thank you, because we we've been staring at this for a week, and we we this. That's just the type of business and the type of it's a clout following we have and, and the connections that I've made over the years with business leaders. Um, yeah, so, and then, you know, you have this like slow trickle of things not improving and then greater lockdowns, we're going to stay at home. Uh, Nightmare kind of gets worse for the yeah. next several weeks. And because that was March 16th, and we run billing on a first of the month basis. So, so all of a sudden, like, when we're still doing this a week later, we're like, crap, we're gonna run billing on April 1 and not provide the thing we, we do. 
we have to say something. We can't just run cards on the first because everyone's just going to ask for refunds, chargebacks, who knows? So we put out- And it's going to create a whole bunch of ill will. It's not worth it. Like, because that is, you know, you, you whiteboard options. You say, <laughs> any smart person's going like, what happens when we yeah. do this? And you're like, the blowback's too bad. All right, what happens when we do this? That's too extreme. Let's find something right in the middle where where we can take care of our members, but also protect the business. So we, we outlined a bunch of options for April 1 billing that gave people out, gave people options, and actually ran mostly full billing April 1 without providing, um, without losing any members, um, promising that anybody that ran, we would actually give that money back. They are loaning us money. It was felt insane. Um, at that time, you're just like, cool, we're going to run tens of thousands of dollars, but promise to give that back to people once we reopen in increments over six months. Basically, thank you for loaning us this money. Um, that worked. Then worked 100% or it worked? It worked. People are totally into it. And everyone picked an option. It was great. And April rolls through. May 1 billing, still haven't provided. We can't bill people. May 1. We can't do it again because not only are we, we I think we're we're asking too much of people, we're starting to build debt. Like yeah. having to give back tens of thousands of dollars times, times two starts to look at like, we need to find another route to protect the business. Let's talk to our landlords. And that, uh, that became the next thing is like, hey guys, like what happens if we can't pay you May 1? And that was a that was a that was someone that has a good bit of ego and, and very much proud and it was hard. But I've worked years to develop relationships with my landlords where we navigated. We worked through all of that. And it May one, it was less about taking money from members, more about how to how do we work together as real estate people that are invested in keeping this space full whenever we do return. Um, it was cool. Um, but we lost going into May tons of people because that at that point nobody's working uptown and the moment that like all the banks and everyone said we're not coming back we lost members like it would just became this like every company that was paying for a membership canceled any office member that just didn't feel good about it like canceled like we 50% of the membership base gone uh, which I have a threshold in my business plan where I'm like at X percentage, we can still be profitable. We hit the, we started to get really close to it. So close that I've never felt like it's such a it's such a conservative number that you're like, I'll never hit this. It's the most uncomfortable I've ever been. Sick about it, actually. Um, I'm sure researches like the PPP and Idol and things like that sucked. Um, to be honest, the, the PPP, you know, we've been. That weekend, that startup weekend, all that time ago, there was a whole thing about being a lean startup. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. Um, but I've always believed that there's, like, how can we get more out of people? Um, you know, pay maybe a little more per person, but have a smaller team. We're a lean team. We don't have a huge payroll. So a PVP basically didn't even cover rent for two locations for one month. Like, it was a joke. It's great. I'm grateful to get a bunch of free money. For us, it was, it was, it was like putting a band-aid on, like a tiny little band-aid right. on 
basically. Almost feels like you're being punished for running. Uh, oh, it felt awful. Um, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. It was just like, this is, and I, this feels, where's the thing for me? Right. Uh, which in my case would have been some sort of wrench relief. Something to, I'm, I pay double in monthly rent what I pay in um, payroll over the course of three months. <laughs> it's insane. Um, so that relief didn't support me all that much. So going into COVID, you started off with four locations. Yeah, and to, we're still here. You still have four locations. The world where we're right now, vaccines are being rolled out, but I'm sure just the vaccines, you don't start seeing the uptick slowly. It's been happening slowly. Yes. When do you start seeing a slight turn? We are now. Just um, now. The year mark, I think, subconsciously like triggered things in people. Like being at home, being locked in for a year was, as someone that's dealt with depression, with all of with all of the things and is an extrovert, I want, I built co-working for me. Um, being at home sucked. It, it killed me. So I think that people, not only this like, we've been doing this for too long, on top of vaccines are coming out, uh, the administration, our, our, our you know, government administration is moving really quick. They're hitting goals. Now they're, they're being even more aggressive with getting vaccines into people's hands, we're, we're seeing that, we're actually seeing it come back. I've had more leads probably in the last three weeks than I've had in the last eight months. Is it a little bit harder now to close or is it? I don't know if harder is the, it feels more critical. You know, when you're getting a hundred leads and you're, you know, a month in the best of times, you're, you can miss. Now, there's a lot of pressure. Every, every no feels dire. So you start to, uh, it hurts, it, it changes, I don't care who you are, hearing no at a time where you're not desperate, but like pretty close to it, because you, you're tired of bleeding. The thing you built is, um, it sucks. So uh, I think people, I, I would say, um, harder no because I think that people are more qualified now. They're, they, they're asking to be a part of something because they're, they don't at all want the thing they've been doing. Like, I'm ready for co-working because I'm tired of this. Versus, uh, we had a lot of leads pre-pandemic where people are asking, they're like, what is co-working? And this is more like, I need co-working because right. I'm ready to jump out of my apartment. You mentioned, it's, you make it so evident how important connection with other people is to you and yet the pain of if somebody leaves Charlotte, I, I gotta ask, is, is there something from your background or something that, that drives that, that connection, the, the value of connection was formed through that experience? Yeah, I, I listen, that, that startup weekend, it's, it's so interesting to have that come up because I don't reference it enough when I talk about my story, but that was, that was my first real like Charlotte event where I just went and participated in the thing. Uh, I loved, I loved it. It was mind blowing to me. It was the thing that made me like desperately want to be a part of something. Um, you know, I, 
feeling lonely, like living in a city for five years, feeling even with a person, my young wife, uh, like feeling detached from, from it was bad. Like it felt bad. I was depressed. Um, it, it just felt, I felt alone. Um, so the moment that, you know, connection's a drug, the moment you get a taste of, especially if that's a thing you need, damn, it was, it was imperative to, to kind of survival for me. And to be honest, like having it, seeing the benefit of it, both personally and professionally, my business, the amount of business leaders that I come across that have no like real presence, blows my mind. And how would you define presence? I want to be known. I do. Like any, and I, I think that most people that run a business want that. They, they don't know how to go about that. They, they've never thought about um, their personal, um, who they are personally as, uh, as it pertains to their business and, and the role they play, both in it and outside of it. Um, the first speaker of We Love Charles, Blair Primus, um, talked about um, who we are, both personally and professionally, and this whole dynamic of really asking the question of why are we, why do we put out something different in our professional life as we do in our personal? Like, why is our LinkedIn photo different from our Facebook? Or like, what happens if we are just who we are all the time? Um, and that kind of goes back to my hat and the easy shirt and, and sneakers and jeans and the t-shirt. Like, if, if you see me somewhere not like this, you would question, you'd think it was weird because this is just who I am. And at that time, five years, six, seven years ago, uh, 2015, um, it, it punched me in the gut. It was just like, oh. It gave you identity. It, it allowed me to get it. So as I, as I think about, um, really like this, this embodiment, like I am Huga, Huga is me. Um, I want people to, to know this business, which means I need to represent my business all the time. Like I, and, and through association, um, it supports what you do. Like I, I, I don't want to be, I don't think any business owner should be a behind the scenes type guy. I think you should be present in your city, especially if your target audience is the city. Um, and for our business, like we're not an impulse buy item. I need one day someone to get into a, a work environment where they need co-working space. You don't like everyone's like, run ads for, for co-working space. And it's just like, nobody's impulse buying this. It is a bad thing to say, we have office space available. If somebody has office space available, we just need them to know that we exist. And that, uh, through a lot of the work I've done with the startup community, business community, we love Charlotte, I, I bake pie on Sunday and talk to people on Instagram, like all these weird things, people get to know me, which in, in you know, by association, they learn Typically, if I, I don't want to say I'm interesting, but like, if people care about a human, they want to know more. We are we are nosy people, and if you are willing to give people a glimpse into your life, they will find out everything. People are creepers, and I it's it's, it's kind of cool. There's got to be some uncomfortableness because now, in order to have that presence, you also have to be vulnerable for a little bit. Does 
how long does that last for you? I believe that that level, like being vulnerable is, I think if you asked a bunch of people that knew me, like, what do you think of Garrett? I think they would say two, two words, authentic and vulnerable. I'm serious. Like I, I believe in uh, the deepest personal experiences are the most valuable and you know, I, I've, I've been transparent with to the world about my divorce, about uh, the entire pandemic and what it's done to my business. You know, we're always so afraid when, when people are like, how much money do you make? Or how much money have you lost? I'm like, I've lost about $700,000 during this. People are like, whoa, you share those numbers? And you're like, does it hurt me to share this? No. Does it help someone else out by sharing this information? Um, yeah, probably. Uh, and I've always believed that that you know, I've talked about drinking. I'm an alcoholic. I, I've, I've wrote a story about the, the the time that about being sober for years, and that post is one of the most engaging. The amount of private messages I got where people are like, "I've always been scared to talk about this thing um, about mental mental wellness. Like I've done drugs. I've done done. I've been deep into this. I tried to kill myself when I was." late teenager um, and I think that people need to hear these things I, I'm I'm especially as I think about kids up and coming as entrepreneurs you know there's no set path I am a two-time college dropout I am a drug addict I'm an alcoholic I didn't start my journey till I was 29 28 I didn't go to school until I was like late 20s I didn't really figure out what I was doing. Like when I, if someone said like, when did you realize you were doing what you should be doing? Probably in the last three years, I'm 37. I want people, I want that to resonate with people when I, when they hear me speak, when they see what I'm doing, um, so that they feel a little more comfortable that they don't know what the hell they're doing. You know, what you're saying right now, thank you so much for sharing that with us, but Coming from a, you know, you mentioned your background is addiction. It kind of really comes full circle to what we were getting at earlier. To where, what is that uh, community and that connection? You, you mentioned, you know, yeah. hating when somebody loses, and and however your new addiction is connection. Absolutely, it's it's, you know, I, I, you're one of the few people to ever kind of like, oh, so you just filled your need with work. Right. Yeah. Or working out. Like I, I don't I'm, think it's work. From what I'm hearing, I, it's, it's relationship, which is there's all sorts of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I became a fitness freak when I gave up drinking. To, yeah. uh, I, there's always something. Yeah. Um, but I, if there's one thing I realized, the worst I've ever felt recently was the moment that human connection was taken away from me. The moment the pandemic hit. Like so, it does make. Like, you are right. Did that cover, uh, in, in, did that, that cause some thoughts of relapse or anything that was really concerning? No, you know, I, I had one moment, um, one moment during the pandemic where I thought I was in, like it was, like that was going to be the night. And then I woke up the next morning, um, I've never shared this, um, and had such a vivid dream of drinking that I did wake up thinking that I was hungover. Um, it was the scariest thing. It was to enough to with guilt and oh, and like checking any alcohol in the house. Like, did I do this? Um, 
it was enough to push me back into I don't want this. That feeling was awful. I've been four years. So, um, so uh, as, as we close out um, going through everything, you're now filling your, you know, I, I don't want to use the word addictions, but your, your needs with much more positive, healthy um, characteristics to, to a degree. <laughs> uh, what is the one thing that right now that you take a deep breath in that you're involved with that makes it all worth it right now? So, so I'm hitting a bit of a, a sweet spot in life, um, even coming out of the pandemic. Uh, I see a bright light at the end of the tunnel for, for Huga and, and the, the suffering that we've done. Um, I'm now, for three months, been the executive director for a small nonprofit, a mid-sized nonprofit, Cheer Charlotte. Uh, and that has been so cool to work with nonprofits. Like it is feeding part of my soul that I didn't realize I, it's cool. It's, it's basically this whole giant nonprofit community that I get to support in all sorts of great ways. The best people doing selfless work. Um, I have someone wonderful in my life, you know, coming out of a, a divorce is the worst. Um, I have someone new and, and wonderful in my life that I am pouring into. I have surrounded myself with the right people. I think at 37, you start to, you know, friends are difficult and challenging to make, you know, it's like dating as an adult <laughs> with people that you, Friendships are like dating. It's so weird. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really good about a lot of things. Um, and I think I've just come to the point where you start to realize, like, one person, I can only do so much, and I get to choose those things. So why would I do anything that doesn't make me feel great? Truly. Like, it feels so simple, but the amount of personal decisions I've made in the past. I'm like, why? And, and, and going back to alcohol, you know, the amount of people that find out I'm sober and they're like, I quit alcohol for a month and it was the best I've ever felt. And I want to say, say that again. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, you literally just said it's the best you ever felt. And you choose to not feel the best you've ever felt. Think about that. And then apply that to literally everything that you do. And some things, yeah, I'm not control. Paying taxes make me feel like crap. I'm not doing is the amount of decisions we make as entrepreneurs, as, as people, um, that don't lead to us feeling better, floors me. And I am trying to, to still do dumb things, but I'm really trying to, to, to live that out. I've got a lot of life to live, and I, I would like to be young. So I think if I follow that path, I'm at least doing something right. Excellent. Well, it sounds like you are on the right path. And uh, I appreciate everything you've shared today. I mean, there's just a lot to take in, a lot to absorb from all of that. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. Today. Yeah, happy to be here. And um, we, we look forward to hearing more about the Share Charlotte and, and see what's next for, for Huga. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for watching. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash education or visit chasmaward.com to catch up on previous episodes. And be sure to be on the lookout for our next episode featuring Kristen Labonte, 
the president of Breaking Limits, a strategic consulting, communications, and marketing agency based in North Carolina.